Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hello, this is Jeff Bast. This is Brett Amron. We're here for The Practice Podcast. And today we have a very special guest. Lisette Carreras. Very special. An eight-year, almost eight-year attorney here at Bass Damron. Hello, Lisette. Hi, guys. Hey, Lisette. How are you? So nice to be on here. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself? We're, we're happy to have you, by the way. Introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us just a little bit about your background, who you are, where you came from. Loaded question. So, Lisette Carreras, I am a native of Miami. I am first-generation Cuban-American I went to local schools, graduated from FIU with a minor in Spanish and a major in sociology and didn't quite know what to do with that. And so I I ended up in law school. Great decision that was. We're happy about that decision. (laughs) It's turned out all right. But I I didn't know what to do with sociology. It was great to study. It was a lot of fun. And then I was sort of stuck with this degree. Um, So anyway, law school was great. I went to the George Washington University Law School. The By the way, did they teach that on day one? Like you have to put a the in front of it or that's something you learn over three years? Ah, No, it's the George Washington University Law School. And so you can imagine all the law students think that's hilarious to like force the article before the, you know, the name of the school. And so, yeah, it's kind of a running joke. So I did that, obviously, three years. And then, um, then I came back home on a mission to serve my community as a prosecutor. Where were you a prosecutor? Here in Miami-Dade. Miami-Dade County Prosecutor, huh? Yes. They grow. They can grow really, really good lawyers there, can't they? In fact, they do. They do. I count myself among them. Yes, you are. And you know what? What? I count you among oh, them as well. Oh, look at that. Boy, that was a softball. Good one. You hit it out of the park. I had that? to. Well done. I had to. That was easy. Tell us, how long were you a prosecutor? I was a prosecutor for just over five years. And just tell us, for those that don't know, where do you start and where did you end up in your five-year career? You start at the state attorney's office with an intensive training, right? You train for about between a month or two. And then you are asked to decide whether you want to prosecute DUIs or whether you want to prosecute domestic violence misdemeanor cases. Wow, those are two wonderful options, huh? Well, right. And my bleeding heart opted for the domestic violence misdemeanor Uh, cases. For those that can't see, obviously, I am wincing at that decision. I did not make that choice. Brett, you went with DUI? I went with DUIs, yes. Most (laughs) people go with DUIs. In fact, it's really the majority of the class goes to DUIs. It was probably about a dozen of us. It was a dozen like out of 60 attorneys that started in my class, yeah. we went to the DUI misdemeanor unit. Uh, let me and ask you. I, I you know. went to I'm uh, sorry, domestic violence, right? To the domestic violence and, misdemeanor and I, unit. And I'm yeah. joking, and it's sort of, but it really is serving the community to do that work. Domestic I mean, it, violence. It, yeah, because obviously it is so important as, as great victims. And I, I'm joking only because we were sort of looking at each other and like, it is tough work. And we're going to get into the reason why in a bit. And what's made you such a phenomenal lawyer is part of the reason why we were sort of looking at each other like, man, that was not the best choice, perhaps. Well, but yes it is and great no. to serve the community. It yeah, really well, was great. For sure, it was probably the most difficult assignment yep. in my entire tenure as a prosecutor. So yeah. if you can imagine in five years, I mean, I, I prosecuted 
I mean, I ended up prosecuting homicides, you know, a lot of violent crimes, a lot of armed crimes, like armed trafficking, armed kidnapping, sexual batteries. And of my entire tenure in the state attorney's office, I would say my assignment in the domestic violence misdemeanor unit was the most difficult, the most challenging, because the cases are simple cases. A lot of the victims are real victims, people that are victimized over and over again. And people that this is the first time that they get the courage to call the police and to file charges, except that two months ago when they had a broken arm based on a domestic violence incident, they didn't call the police for the broken arm, right? Where you had a real injury, a real visible injury, a provable injury. This time they called the police because they were pushed, and so it's difficult from an evidentiary perspective, yeah. right, to prove a push. Yep. Right. Or and, a yell, and, like he yelled at me or she yelled at me. Or spit or she, at me. Or spit, right. Exactly. Or slapped me. Threat, exactly. Right. Or scratched me. Right. Or grabbed my arm and, t- you know, pulled me. Yep. All of those things are batteries under the law, right? They're simple batteries. An unwanted touch is a simple battery. But in these domestic violence situations where you have people that, you know, by the very nature of domestic violence, they have a relationship. It's a difficult thing to prove. And to add another layer to that, these are things that happen mostly in private. And so you don't have independent witnesses Mm -hmm. of these actions. You may have a child. You may have a family member who's going to be biased in favor of one of the parties. And so as far as proof is concerned, right, which is what we were concerned with as lawyers, Hmm. You know, we had to prove a case. And as a prosecutor, you have a very high burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And so in those situations where you have a a real victim many times who's aggrieved, who's finally had the courage to come forward, you you have no proof. And so a lot of times it's a he said, she said. But these cases are tough. And a lot of these offenders are first time offenders. And a lot of them are serial offenders. I mean, you see, and you know, when you pull up their priors, you know, you see all of the cases that they have marked where, you know, they're domestic violence cases and they have multiple cases against the same victim. And so it's, it's gut-wrenching. It's really, it was very difficult. And how often, and this is where the added difficulty comes in from a prosecution perspective, but how often would you have, obviously the victim, as you said, gets up the courage to finally say something or say something again right? To the police, they call the police. So that's the time when they call the police and they make the the report to the police. Then there is a delay. Oh yeah. Right? A long delay until you get the case. And then it's your time to reach out to the victim. And either by then, the first time you reach out to them, they say what? Sometimes, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So it's not, you can imagine they call for help, right? When the situation is still sort of hot. And so you have yeah. three weeks oftentimes longer, to file a case. And in that interim, you know, as a prosecutor, you have to investigate the case. And so sometimes, right, the complaining victim is still upset, is still sticking to their guns. And so you have them come in and you get their statement. You take a sworn statement. And then you file a case. By the time the case goes to trial, I mean, you're looking at several months. And oftentimes these are people that have children in common or share a home or you know, have a business or, you know, it's familial relationships that you've been together for many years. And so most of the time by then, the victim isn't as committed to prosecuting the case. 
And so I found oftentimes that when you develop a positive relationship with the victim, you offer the victim services, you support the victim, that the victim is more likely to participate in the prosecution, Mm -hmm. regardless of the length of time that it takes to go to trial. So would you say that then being a prosecutor allows you to step outside of the picture frame, right? And be able to look at the picture and understand that there are out there are forces outside of just being a prosecutor and saying this is the case and I need to get this case to trial I need to prove this case that there are other issues they need to deal with sometimes the issue of proof is the simplest of the issues yep. because the outside factors are so strong yeah and so absolutely right and that's I know we're going to get to this in a minute and sort of the transition and what you've taken, but I would say that that would be a skill that you would use today, right? Understanding that there is a bigger picture here and understanding either a particular witness or our client or perhaps the ad, the adverse party in terms of just sort of looking at the big picture and understanding where everything fits in. Absolutely. The underlying dynamics, right? The dynamics that are at play, mm-hmm. apart from just the legal issues That's really where I think my strength is. And I think a lot of times that's really, you know, how cases get resolved, how cases get pushed. Mm -hmm. And looking at it in the context of a trial, that underlying dynamic or understanding that dynamic really gives the litigants the upper hand or the lawyers the upper hand in presenting the evidence and cross-examining and looking for those Achilles heels in the case and in the witnesses themselves. And so absolutely. And I think thinking back to that time as a domestic violence misdemeanor prosecutor, I think that's really where I started honing in on on that skill, on developing those relationships Mm -hmm. with my victims, with the officers, whose obviously collaboration I would need sometimes to bring even the victims in (laughs) to testify, you know. And so that translates now to building the relationship with the client, understanding the facts of the Mm -hmm. case early on. Because once you have an understanding of the facts of the case, it puts you in a better position to litigate. You know what you need in discovery. You know what the case issues are going to be. And you also understand your client's goals, right, in any litigation, and which is really what drives us, is accomplishing those Mm -hmm. goals for the clients. And that could look very different depending on the case and depending on the client. Well, and sometimes it's helping the client understand their own goals because they may or may not understand. You know, they know they want to win this case, but where does the case fit into their bigger picture, their business, or whatever, you know, their life? Right. That's right. And then that's a conversation that I had back then and that I have now. It's like, I hear you saying this. Is this what you want? I mean, this is what that looks like, right? Like you have victims say, you know, I just want him to get help. Right. Okay. Well, this is what help looks like. Help looks like you showing up to trial, right? And prosecuting this case so that we can create leverage for a plea deal, right? And so, that's what that looked like then. And, and that's sort of the conversations that we have now, obviously dealing with many different issues. I mean, right. that looks very different when you're dealing with complex civil matters. Yeah. So stepping back a little, a, a minute, when you went listen, to the prosecutor's office, did you know, did you have a sense, okay, I want to be a prosecutor. I'm interested in criminal defense or criminal work. I loved criminal work. I thought it fit my sociology degree well. I was like a law and order junkie. Like I 
you know, lived for it. Right. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And it, you know, was, I wanted to serve the community. And, and, and as a prosecutor, you have the most power to affect the most change, not just for victims of crime, but also for defendants, like people that are wrongly accused or where there's insufficient evidence to sustain charges against them. As a prosecutor, you have the power to dismiss cases, to not yeah. file cases, correct. And so- I, I would add one more thing to that before you, sorry to interrupt you, no, which ahead. is you can affect change on the defendants in one more way, which is perhaps to change the direction of their life by helping them. They have to be willing and obviously the family too, but there's an ability for a prosecutor to do that too. Correct, right. And as a, as a defense attorney, as a criminal defense attorney, you can advocate for it, but you don't have the power right. to accomplish it if the prosecutor's not willing. And so as a prosecutor, you're uniquely positioned. And that was, to me, was really awe-inspiring and humbling to be in that position. And criminal defense just really didn't interest me, right? I wanted to be on the side of right. I wanted to wear Mm -hmm. the white hat. And so that was really important to me. And so I stayed at the state attorney's office. You know, I did, you have a three-year commitment. I stayed through my three-year commitment. Then I was offered the ability to jump into a specialized unit. So I I did, I prosecuted career criminals. Mm. Right. Charged with first degree and life felonies. I was assigned to the repeat offender courts, which is a sort of specialized courtroom for violent career criminals charged, you know, with first degree and life felonies. So it was very trial active. We had fantastic judges. And I, I ended up staying on for an almost two, no, it was two years, two additional years past my commitment. And it was great. I mean, it was really great. It was a great time. It was great cases. It was, you know, we were putting away, we were prosecuting really bad guys like that had done really bad things again and again. And I say guys because actually most of them, the majority were males, but it was a uh, very trial active. You had the best of the best on the public defender side, you know, and public defenders, they are highly qualified like the prosecutors, right? right. You know, we're thrown into the courtroom on day one. Yep. And we keep going back into the courtroom day after day after day. A lot of motion practice, a lot of trial practice. And so you really have the opportunity to hone your skills. Right. So over five years as a prosecutor, do you have a sense of how many cases you prosecuted and how many you tried or I would, w- would we, you take we, a guess? So really, how many trials did you do? Like we don't, honestly, you can't say how many cases you prosecuted. Because you handled so many cases. I, thousands. Yeah, I, I touched thousands of cases. You, thousands. Literally, thousands. you touched thousands of cases. Yeah. So, so yeah. how many cases? Would so I had about, I think I had about 60 jury trials. Yeah. And how many bench do you think? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, dozens. Dozens of bench yeah. trials, yeah. And, you know, as far as like motion practice, I mean, motions to, su- dispositive motions, motions to suppress. Right, right. I mean, and then there, so there are evidentiary hearings. Five years. And evidentiary hearings on oh. probation violations, right? I mean, yeah. you would have those all the time to add to that too. This so. was stuff that happened almost on a daily basis. Yep. You had evidentiary hearings on a daily basis. Yep. You had trial calendar probably once a week. And you get to really hone your skills um, carrying boxes of files <laughs> on the cart, right? Your cart yes. skills. Well, in the beginning, from county court, yeah, you start in county court and you have multiple boxes where that you pull with the cart. Sometimes multiple carts outside from the county court building, to the courthouse, right? Yes, that's what the DUI people did. Yeah, but anyway, towards the end of my career, I had you know a few big folders I carried around. 
Because there were obviously much more serious cases, much more involved. So when those process specialized prosecutors would walk in the courtroom, when you're a pit prosecutor, right? You remember this from your days as a pit prosecutor. You're just in there with calendar or whatever. And then you get a particular case that's on calendar. And then you get the specialized prosecutor with two files in her hand. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. wow. Right. What, and the, sorry, what's a pit prosecutor? Somebody who is it's assigned to a division. And any case that gets filed in that division is either there's an A, a B, and a C, and that's the level. So A is like first degree in life felonies, B is second degree, and C is third degree felonies. And you move up the chain, whatever, and so, that's being a pit prosecutor. Anything that comes in to that division gets assigned to one of those three, and then there's a division chief. So those three are pit po- prosecutors? Yeah, those Correct. are pit prosecutors. You're in the pit. You're in you know that courtroom all the time. And then you get a specialized prosecutor, like Lisette was in her last two years, and they come into the courtroom for a specific case that may be assigned to that judge. And they come in with their two files and they look all like, everyone's like, oh my God, there's... Yeah, the, usually you know. the specialized units yep. have like different color file, like oh, files. Yeah. So very you come important. in with your Yeah. Very <laughs> you important. You come in with your color-coded files and everyone's yeah. just like, ah, oh, she's yeah. here. They're yeah. here. Yeah. And the pit prosecutors kind of look like, Ugh, you know. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I never felt yeah. that. Uh, uh, and by actually, the way, no, for no. anyone listening, the energy in this room is uh, you, <laughs> could, you could cut it with a knife. It's, no, it's awesome. It these is. Two, these two former prosecutors, they could they could talk shop about this for days. For you days, know I know we could bore bore people for days. It, it's yeah. exciting. It was yeah. you know what it was. It's an it's an exciting start to your career. It's exciting to practice really in the pit. I mean, you yeah. are in court every single day. You know, you're dealing with families and victims and cops and defendants, and it's, it's a very real legal dynamic work out of law school. It I is mean, immediate. You're yeah. doing actual yeah. lawyer it work. Is, you're being yeah. a lawyer from day one. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is like I think it's really the purest practice of law in yeah. a lot of ways, <clears throat> and it's uh, yeah. a, it's a great training ground both for prosecutors and for defense attorneys. And, well, by and the also, way, and, that, and really, why we're here is you're now in a civil practice. So, right. and that's really what we wanted to talk about was. Is that good training to be a civil lawyer? Because most people think of the prosecutor's office as if you don't want to do criminal law, it's not on their radar. But arguably, I'm looking at two excellent civil litigators, commercial litigators, who both have the prosecutorial background. I think it's an excellent training ground. And I, a lot of people may have different thoughts on it, but there is nothing, there's no training like the training that you get when you are the boots on the ground as a prosecutor or even as a public defender, the level of, I I don't even know where to start, right? Like, so you develop a set of skills for investigating cases, like fact intensive cases. You deal with witnesses um, on a daily basis. And as you are interviewing them, you are automatically just assessing credibility, assessing reliability. You're thinking, What's the judge going to think about this witness? What's the jury? How's the jury going to react? And so it's a whole set of skills that you you learn on the go, but it really hones your skills as a litigator. And so you bring those to criminal practice. And so as a prosecutor, you know what it's going to take to present a case to a jury. You know what it's like to stand in front of a jury. You know how your witness is going to present, what facts you're going to lead with. And so- In the civil practice, it's the same thing, except most civil litigators don't have the trial experience that you gain as a prosecutor. So for me, right, similar to what you just said, it was like what we learned was sort of the framework. 
It's like when you're building a house, right? It's just the frame of the house is what we had, which is the ability to walk into any court anywhere and be comfortable, the ability to question witnesses, the ability to assess credibility, the ability to investigate cases and sort of pull out facts, try cases. That, to me, was the sort of the framework. And then the substantive law that you practice is what you fill in from there. And so that translates into now what you're doing, right? Because you had that. You had that grit almost, right? From being a prosecutor is like, man, I've been to battle. I've been there. So whatever you throw at me, no big deal. Oh, it's no big deal. Right. It's no big deal. It's also a comfort level. A hundred percent. Your comfort level in taking a deposition or putting a witness on the stand or appearing in the court. no, No concern, right? You've done that. And a lot of times trial... Now we get months and sometimes years to prepare and we get to take discovery and what, how many times do we try cases with an arrest affidavit? Oh my God, too many times. You know, interviewing witnesses outside the courtroom right before trial and picking a jury. Yeah. And that, that was it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. You get a call, like the judge says, there's trial starting now. Pick yep. which case you want to take to trial. And you've got five, six, seven cases that are ready and yep. you grab your file, you make sure your witnesses are there, you you know, you get everyone lined up and you go, go, go. I mean, right. it was, God, it was crazy, yeah. but it was a lot of fun too. It was great training ground. I mean, yeah. it really was, uh, right? I mean, it was, it was for, and especially for what you're doing now. So, so pulling into what you do now, right? And we've kind of hit on some of this, right? You have the ability to, handle whatever's kind of thrown at you in court, outside of court as well. Yeah. And, you know, building cases and investigating them in terms of the civil side, no matter what kind of claim it is. And again, it could be on the the plaintiff side or the defense side. It doesn't really matter. Although I tend to think that sort of our skill set is probably would lend itself more on the plaintiff side. But we've done defense work and it kind of pulls as well on the defense side. Absolutely. And a lot of times when we do defense work, we still treat it as if we're prosecuting the case. I mean, we're never, we're most of the time, we tend to be more on the... uh, Right. Which is a good thing though, right? If you're on the defense side, it's a good thing to think about it from the perspective of, well, if I was prosecuting or or this case as a plaintiff, how would I be doing it and what would I be doing? The best defense lawyers understand what a prosecutor is going to be focused on. Of course, right. Right. you have to anticipate the case right. and you have to prepare for it. Right. And so, right. So, you know, now we get a case and you run through what, you know, what the applicable law is. Like, what would I have to prove, right? If I had to present this to a judge or a jury mm-hmm. and you have that framework and then it's like you plug in the facts. It's like, okay, well, what facts do I need to develop more? You know, what facts are favorable? Which facts are not favorable? Yeah. How can we work with those, right? In order to to get the result that we need. And so- Absolutely. And you have that. I mean, you have that at the state attorney. You have that when you're prosecuting criminal cases. And certainly we have that now in dealing with the complex civil cases that we right. that we deal with. And, and let's not lose again. You mentioned this in the beginning, the human component yeah. of litigation. Because there's litigation involves people. There's going to be people that are sitting on the witness stand. There are going to be people who are making decisions about whether to settle or whether to prosecute, how far to go, what they want. And understanding and being able to connect to people, communicate with them, empathize with them, anticipate their needs is critical to what we do. It is critical. It is critical. And, and you know, oftentimes, and, you know, I saw it in the criminal practice and I see it now as well. Sometimes the person is just aggrieved and they want to be heard. 
and they want the opportunity to be heard and they want a stage and they, you know, and sometimes just having that conversation and validating the client or validating the victim Mm -hmm. is worth it. And sometimes, I mean, I had conversations with the victim say, listen, I don't think we can prove this beyond a reasonable doubt. I'm, do you sure you still want to take the stand and testify and say, yeah, I want to sit there and I want to tell my side of the story. And so we see that now in the civil practice as well. We have, you know, we have clients that have been harmed or aggrieved and they want their day. They want to be heard. They want to be heard. Right. And and there's a value to that. And so that's, that's part of also understanding, you know, what motivates the client, what's the client's goal, Right. right? Right. And by the way, it doesn't mean if they want to be heard, it's a, okay, well, how can we make that happen so that maybe we don't, maybe we don't go to trial. Maybe we do it in a mediation format where you want to be heard. Great. You can be heard. And then we can try and resolve this case or in deposition or, you know, you go to trial, whatever it is, but it's as Jeff pointed out and you pointed out, which is it's the empathy side. It's understanding that there's perhaps forces other than what appears on the paper. There are always right. forces exactly. other than yes, what appear on that the is paper. True. That is true. And I think if you're a good attorney, the sooner you identify those forces, mm-hmm. I think this, the better position, you're in much better position yeah. to represent your client and to resolve the matter in a way that's favorable to your client. Yeah. It's under understanding the why. Yeah. You know, why are we doing this? Right. What's the objective? What do you what do you why? really want? And again, right. oftentimes the client doesn't really appreciate the why they need our help right. to get there. Yeah. So would you recommend uh, being a prosecutor to any law students that's graduating from law school? Hmm. Is that something you'd recommend? I would. Whether uh, they know if they, even, even if they're leaning civil or what do you think? What do you guys think? I would say, so I made my way to the state attorney's office. I'll, while you're thinking, I will jump in for a second. <laughs> Thanks, um, I made my way to the state attorney's office. I was interning. I was a law clerk for a very prominent criminal defense lawyer who also did civil as well. I had an incredible experience with him. Thank you, Joel Hirshhorn and Brian Bieber. But I asked them, if I want courtroom and trial experience, where should I go? And they said, state attorney's office. So if anybody's out there who thinks that that's what they want, I think it is a good place to go. And they may fall in love. And they, may, In other words, if you're not dead set on, like you, I want to go back and have an impact on my community and this is what I want to do. There are lifetime prosecutors and, and kudos to them. And that's phenomenal work and it's great. But if there's lawyers who may not know and may not think this is that's what I want to do as a prosecutor, if they think maybe I want to hone my skills as a trial lawyer and that's what I want to do, there's really no better place to get thrown in the middle and just say, get thrown in the pool basically and say sink or swim. And that's it. That's 100% true. If the goal is to do trial work, and you want to understand it and live it and get, I mean, evidence, the rules of evidence. They were like second nature. I mean, you were constantly dealing with these. I find like civil lawyers don't have that, generally don't have a good handle on the rules of evidence. Right. Well, they just don't deal with it as often. Right. And so when you're in the courtroom on a daily basis, I mean, it's second nature. So if that's what you want, then absolutely, that's where you need to start. And did you, you spent five years there. Did you feel at any point during that five-year period that you were falling behind your peers who were working in law firms and advancing? Financially, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is a driver for a lot of, uh, unfortunately, that's a driver for a lot of law students coming out. They have to do it. It's a huge consideration. I mean, I went to, the George Washington University Law School, which is a very expensive law school. And so 
yeah, I had some scholarship money, but I also had a lot of loans. And so making those payments was excruciating in those first years. And so in that sense, I did. I felt very much behind my peers who started out at big firms, right? But my peers that started out at big firms were writing memos for the associates who were then turned around to the partner. And so they never, I mean, even draft, I mean, they weren't even drafting pleadings for the first couple of years. And so me, on the other hand, right, I was in the courtroom every day. I was in front of juries. I was trying cases. You know, I was handling DNA evidence and weapons and drug evidence. And, you know, it was very exciting. It was, yeah, it was, was, yeah, exciting stuff. It was very exciting. And so I had the stories and they paid for the dinners. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. yeah. And so that's how it went. So I I mean, yes and no. But at the end of five years, you had this unbelievable experience that you could then take and and apply in a civil context that they, they just did not have. So, absolutely. Absolutely. And that they'll never have. I mean, there's no way to get that level of that depth of experience. You can't recreate that anywhere. Really can't. It's invaluable experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I'm uh, happy to have both of you as my colleagues at here at Bass Damron because I think there are not many better litigators than the two of you, you know, anywhere. So, oh, it's so nice of you, Jeffrey. So happy to have you. (laughs) So the lesson is become a prosecutor. If you want to try cases and you're thinking about if you're yeah, if you're thinking about a trial and you want the courtroom experience, I would say being a prosecutor is a great way to get that experience. I agree. Yeah. It's the long play, right? It is the understanding that your career is a marathon. Right. And so as Lissette just alluded to, I had friends too that that went in and made a lot more money, obviously, than I did at the beginning. And, but it's a long play and you have to think about that. Like, okay, I'm gonna give it up and get the experience and Maybe I stay and I love it and I'll stay forever. Or maybe this, you know, I stay for X number of years and then I, I go out and I take my skills and, and use them elsewhere. But really incredible experience unmatched, I think. I agree. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Is yeah. five years the right amount of time? I think five years is probably too long. I think most people would say it's too long. For me, I, I was by three years, I was ready to be done. But then the assignment into the repeat offender course just gave me a second wind, you know. And when you're practicing in front of judges that are, like the judges that I had were fantastic. When I had meaningful cases with real victims of serious crimes. I mean, it was was a very meaningful experience and it was very trial active and I couldn't walk away. So I stayed the extra too. But usually by three years, especially if you're, you know, a pit prosecutor, you're tired and you're ready right. for a good paycheck. And, and, <laughs> how, and how'd you find the transition to civil practice? Was it, was it a challenge? It was a challenge. It was very much a challenge. Yep. The learning curve was steep and it was not easy. Everything was brand new, right? I mean, I went to law school out of state. And so, you know, obviously I had to brush up on, you know, the civil rules, the civil law. I mean, everything was brand new. And then add to that billable hours. Like when you're at the state attorney's office or the public defender's office, you don't have to account for your time. Yeah, right. The, another benefit. The, there you go. There's another benefit to being a prosecutor. Right. The accountability <laughs> was different. The accountability was showing your face to the judge, right? And you have to be ready. But when you transition to civil practice, certainly the billable hour regime is was a challenge in the beginning. But like anything, it's a transition and you, you're so well-trained that it, that it's worth it. It's not as bad as you would think. Um, it's You get used to it like anything else. And you learn to document your time and, and think through things in a different way. 
than you did at the state attorney's office and you become more productive as well. Before I forget, the one other thing that as a prosecutor you have to have, right, in being in court every single day is you have to know your cases. You have to be prepared. And that also helps you, right? When you go into court on a motion for an extension of time, you know, because you've been trained that way, that anything can happen and a judge may ask you questions about the case itself. So you have to be prepared at all times. Yeah. Right? At all times. Yeah. Anything can happen yeah, when you're in court. which is very important in the civil context, right? Because yeah, we sure. know we've, we've been in court and there's lawyers who are not prepared because they're like, oh, I'm here on a motion for extension of time. Judge, I, I'm not prepared to answer that question. Right. But we have been trained we as know prosecutors better. to know better, right? We know better and we do better. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Lisette, any parting words to lawyers considering the practice in a, as a prosecutor? Just do, do it. it. Just <laughs> nice. do it. If you have questions, email me. I'm happy to talk to anyone. It was it was really the best of times and the worst of times in yeah. some ways, yeah. but it was really the best of times. And that energy that you mentioned that was going in the room is because it really was that exciting. It was really that exciting. I mean, to you live. start with a, a class. Yeah. So everyone is a, usually about the same age. I mean, you have some people who are second career lawyers who went back a little older, but so you're all young and you're all running around trying cases and pulling people into trials and sitting with your friends trying cases. I mean, you're having a meaningful impact on people's lives immediately. But you don't even, I mean, yes, you are. But I think at the time, at least for me, I didn't even focus on, like I'm in trial and and you're trying to put somebody away for life. It didn't even, we were so young and moving around and flying around, like it didn't even dawn on me. At that time, looking back on it now, obviously, but I'm in trial, like, all right, let's go. And like sitting with a buddy of mine and we're just trying the case. And, you know, like we were young, just having, not having fun because I don't want to say it was fun, but just had the energy and like didn't even focus on the fact that we're trying to put somebody away for life. You know what? For me, it was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. I, I really was such, it was, like I said, it was so humbling. Like I remember the names of, I have, you know, some young people that I put away for a really long time. Mm. Not super young, but, you know, youngish people that I also, you know, you offer a good deal to and they don't take it and then they're convicted. And then you have minimum mandatories, right? You have like mandatory life sentences. And so I have a lot of people, I mean, not a lot, but I have people I think about actually. And I think about what a waste (laughs) it was. And, and, but I did my job. You offer a good deal. If they don't take it, it's really their decision. If they get convicted, then there's nothing you can do, right? The law sort of ties your hands, but it weighs on me. I think about those people. Well, that's because you're a very good person. I try. Yeah. I try. You're both good people. But that's what makes makes you an even better lawyer is that you're a good person and you think about these things. So, right. I do. But yeah, it was, it didn't make it any less exciting to be, you know, in trial with your, you know, with your best friends and your... It's a, you know, trial's exciting. Trial's fun. I think that's what a lot of lawyers yeah. want to do trial right. work. Yeah. It's the it, hardest work and the best work. Yeah. Yeah. Hardest and most rewarding. Hardest and most rewarding. Like for most sure. things in life. Yeah, that's true. Well, thanks. And this is, this a has good been, time to end, right? It's been a great conversation, Lisa. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you guys for having me. I've enjoyed it. Nelson. Nelson, you're the man. Thanks, thanks sir. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.